Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. It's gone. This is the most dramatic podcast I've ever made, and none of this has been pre-rehearsed. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm your host, Danny Kelly, and alongside me today, The Athletic's Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare. And on this episode, we'll give the lowdown on the Fabio Paratici situation, try to establish what will happen next after his worldwide ban from football. Yes, that's right, everybody. The last podcast, just a few short days ago, we were forced to confront as Spurs fans and people who report on Spurs the fact that they had appointed the sacked manager's closest friend and football confidant um, to see them through the next, next part of the season. Surely things couldn't get more surreal from there. Well, my friends, in a week when we might have been, I hoped we'd have a calmer week, we might have been reporting on on Harry and Kate Kane announcing the, the imminent birth of their fourth child. How lovely. But of course, this is Spurs. So even those stories have had to be confined to the sidelines. Um, as we end up, if I might do it in uh, shorthand, with a director of football who is banned from um, football. Yep, that's Tottenham Hotspur for you. Hello, Jack. Hello, Charlie. How are you? Very well. How are you? Good. Yeah, well, you two should be very tired because of course, you've written a massive piece about uh, how we got where we are. Um, and we'll come on to that in just a few seconds' time. That's available on the on the Athletic Even as I speak. Let me just give you the outline then, both in the interest of fairness and legality of what's happened so far. On Wednesday morning, uh, FIFA confirmed that uh, Paratici's 30-month ban from Italian football had been extended to worldwide effect, to use their phrase. Paratici, uh, who's now, who is these days Spurs' managing director of football, was one of 11 Juventus executives accused of financial malpractice. And the Italian FA have, of course, docked them 15 points and given handed out bans to all of these executives. It should be noted that Paratici is the longest, for whatever reason. All 11 deny any wrongdoing. An appeal against the uh, Italian FA sanctions will be heard by the Italian Olympic Committee on uh, the 19th of next month, April, when TV show report reached Paracci for comment on the Turin prosecutor's case, he said, everyone has their own view, of course, but as you say, now it's really one-sided. Um, there's someone on the attack and someone else who can only defend and can't pass the halfway line. There's also a separate criminal investigation into what went on at Juventus, and uh, that location for the trial will be determined on May the 10th. So that's where we are. Of course, then Spurs put out a statement after Baratici's ban was extended worldwide on Wednesday evening. They said they are urgently seeking further clarification from FIFA about the details of the extension of Baratici's ban. They promised to update on the matter in due course. I have to say, gentlemen, before we get into the details of your brilliant piece, I've never known a week like this for Spurs fans, and I've been following them for half a century and more. People I know who are 
lackadaisical Spurs fans in that they don't get involved in the politics of the club are really upset. Paul Hawksby, famous radio presenter and the most even-handed, most even-tempered man I know, on Wednesday asked me if I would go on the radio show because he couldn't deal with the situation any longer. He was apoplectic. I've never seen Paul. I've never seen him mildly fussed. Never mind apoplectic. I don't get embarrassed because um, they're a football club. Why would they embarrass me? All right. And what, what, how big a deal is this, uh, Jack? First of all, you uh, and and some our great people like Paul Hawksby right to be upset about it. Yeah, I think Spurs fans are right to be upset about this. I think that this whole saga has basically dragged the reputation of the club through the mud because Tottenham have completely willingly and unnecessarily tied themselves to someone who is accused of very serious corporate malpractice in football. And they have had so many chances to part company with Paratici and to preserve their own reputation and cut him off. And they repeatedly fail to do it. They repeatedly fail to do it. I was really, I've been surprised many times this year that Tottenham have not decided to part company with Paratici. Firstly, when he was when he was given the 13-month ban in Italy in January. Then again, on Wednesday, I thought that Tottenham would part company with him, and they didn't, even after FIFA globally extended the ban. And I think for as long as, the longer that Paratici stays at the football club while this hangs over him, the more that Tottenham are effectively tainted by association. Yeah, I mean, on that, so, so, well, just going to say, someone made the point to me the other day, which I think is a good one, is that people are almost forgetting that this is a Juve scandal. But because the Juve executives resigned in November 2022, the ones who were still at the club, they almost they they created a little bit of distance from it by doing that. But Spurs are so now at the centre of all of this because of Paratigi, the fact that he's still at the club, that it, I think a lot of people from the outside, casually looking on, would be like, this is a massive deal at Spurs, almost forgetting that it wasn't done while he was at the club. Obviously, this is all things dating back to Juve, but by him sticking around it becomes as much a Tottenham crisis as it does a Paratici one. And it just feels, we, we've talked about this, Jack and I, like this is not a club known for their loyalty to certainly not managers. It just seems extraordinary that at this point, you know, they are still backing him. And, um, you know, there may be complications there, but it's uh, I can definitely see the anger. And, and, and speaking to people on Wednesday and Thursday, that was a, uh, an emotion that was kind of right at the surface was the anger at it. You know, how had this been allowed to happen and the embarrassment and obviously as well coming hot on the heels of Conte eviscerating the club publicly and then his sacking. It's just been a pretty horrible couple of weeks for the club. I mean, the question, the, the, the word that gets used and I'm only asking for your opinion here, um, given that all that you two know about the situation, Jack, is is Paratici's, I mean, I guess I know the answer because what you just said, his position there is untenable, isn't it? I thought his position was untenable when he was given the 30-month ban from Italian football, uh, which was just over two months ago. Obviously, Tottenham thought otherwise. I certainly thought his position was, was untenable on Wednesday. And yet, the only person who seems to think that his position is not untenable is the only person whose opinion matters, and that's Daniel Levy. So it, it's in this, it's amazing, really, that Tottenham have taken this stance to to stick with him i can't really i spent so much time this week thinking what are they actually thinking why what why have they kept him in the building i suppose the best answer i have to that is is to say well he's got this appeal in italy on the 19th of april 
And, you know, these appeals are often successful. And if if he is successful in his appeal, then he's not banned. And then he can continue to, you know, sign players and find a new manager. But I just don't, I, even then, I don't understand why you would keep him in the building between now and the 19th of April. It doesn't, it does not make sense to me. Yeah, I think that's it. Because you, you can imagine a situation where, yeah, if, if they really, if, if you really, back, let's let's say, and I'm not saying this is the case, but just hypothetically, if you really back someone, you fully trusted them, they've told you, look, the appeal is going to be successful, I've not done anything wrong, and you really trusted them, you might feel, yeah, let, we can stick by this person, we believe them. But I think you're right on the, even if that is the case, suspension would make a lot of sense, because then you're not saying, you, you know, you're almost just saying, well, look, we have to kind of see how this plays out, but we're not, we don't want to prejudice anything which which is important obviously as well but that would seem like a kind of natural halfway house if you are still really backing someone which you know they they may well be justified in doing we'll see the results of the appeal we don't yet know that you're right jack to say that these appeals are uh, often successful and of course i think we all believe um on this podcast but in the principle of uh innocent until proven guilty so we'll see how the appeal goes Football for Spurs fans will want to know what the effect is going to be on the club ongoing. We'll talk about that in the second half of the podcast. So I want to understand better how we got to where we are today. And that's one of the central themes or the big piece you've done for The Athletic. When Parastu joined Spurs in 2021, as far as I'm aware, I know, I'm aware, the investigation was already begun and it was publicly already begun. Would that have not been a red flag for Spurs? Well, this was something we reported in the piece was that we, we've been told that there were warnings, you know, that it was said, is is this definitely a good idea? This really could come back, could come back to haunt us. Um, and, you know, obviously, perhaps she was appointed, those warnings weren't heeded. And so I think that's doubly frustrating for the people who were, <laughs> who were making that point, because it is a situation that could have been so easily avoided and it's not one of those where yeah you say well there's just no way we could have known they could should have known and that's where the due diligence comes into it and this whole situation could potentially have been avoided and I think that is a big reason why there is so much frustration around because it's such an avoidable situation. There's also I think um, uh, the fact that the culture of football um, these kinds of allegations don't carry the kind of weight they might have done if it was me or you accused of doing something a bit underhand or sneaky. And I wonder if, well, if that leads to all football clubs thinking, well, you know, they're a bit fly, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. I certainly agree that f- it being in football does effectively give give some people a free pass. You know, let's say if this was in the real world, if this was a, you know, a big corporation and the the chairman had restructured the organization to bring in to specifically to bring in someone in a big new managing director role and then that person who had been brought in was then accused of corporate malpractice with the threat of him being struck off and unable to work which is which is seemingly what's happening here then the chairman would face some very very serious questions from shareholders but of course this isn't you know the you know the premier league is not is not the real world it's uh, it's very different you know there are no it's not like daniel levy is accountable to lots of different shareholders who've got opinions there's only one shareholder whose opinion matters and he's on a yacht in the bahamas so it, but i think that that really brings us back to this issue of decision making at tottenham and also accountability 
because Tottenham is you know has is structured and owned in the way that it is, that does mean that that Daniel Levy is not under shareholder pressure. I I hear that, but I wonder whether I mean. Again, referring back to your piece, which I've read and many of our listeners will not have read, Fools, make sure you do read it, the idea that Levy is keeping him on um, because he hopes that he's innocent, um, because he really has faith in him, all those good things. Um, it also strikes me, though, Jack, that um, Parachi is a human shield at this time of huge discontent among Spurs fans. With the manager gone, there's almost no other target at Spurs now except Daniel Levy for people who are discontented. Um, I suppose if he keeps one layer of public management between himself and the fans, he he's got some, you know, he has got, as I say, a human shield. He's not a very effective shield, though, is he? Because it's terrible his, human his shield. One of the world's the worst. <laughs> I mean, he's like a shield made out of uh, out, out of paper. Like his being there <laughs> is used is used as a criticism, rightly, of Daniel Levy. It would be a much better human. He's like he he is the he is the functional opposite of a shield in that sense. He's a magnet for arrows. <laughs> <laughs> it is extraordinary to think he's without a managing director of football. There's no permanent men's head coach. There's no permanent women's head coach. I mean, that is an absolutely extraordinary situation. There are other areas of the business that, you know, there are issues as well. I mean, it's it reminds me of that um, <laughs> possibly apocryphal. St- there was a tweet that went around saying, like, you think you're having a bad day. And it was from supposedly the American Secretary of State to a staffer saying something like, we really need to get North Korea under control. Iran's a bit of an issue as well. We do need to do something about Russia. And it was like, fucking hell, that is a pretty big to-do list. And I feel that, you know, what must be on Levy's to-do list at the moment? I mean, Jesus, there is a lot going on at that club. It's amazing how similar, how similar but worse the situation right now is to the situation from two years ago. Like they've just sacked a really, they've. I mean, the Paratici thing is really in addition to all of this. But you know, they've sacked a very high-profile manager in a desperate attempt to try and get top four. There's big questions about Harry Kane's future. They're trying to get a new. They've installed an interim while trying to run a process to find the new permanent manager. They've there's questions about Kane's future. They don't know about the internal structure of the club. The person leading the search for the permanent manager is potentially not there anymore. It's like it's like 2021, but worse. You know, as as Karl Marx might have said, all seasons at Tottenham happen twice. The first is fast. The second is an even worse fast. <laughs> uh, you know, it, there's two th- thoughts that occur to me about this. As and one is, I suppose, I mean, Mike, in my mind, I see Daniel Levy. You're, you're right. His to do list it translates in my mind to to him sat on a massive fizzing cartoon time bomb you know the big round black ones with the fuse at the top of it and he sat on the top of that um and he could he could stop the fuse he could defuse the bomb if you like by going in front of a decent camera not a webcam and directly addressing (laughs) spurs fans and saying we've made some mistakes this is not a great place that we're in but uh, we can we will do what we can and we will try and turn the season around. But it's never going to happen. Spurs' communications are, and this is the PR, multiple train wrecks that we're talking about in the last couple of weeks are illustrative of the fact that it's just not right. So that's one thing. He could he could diffuse it slightly by being more open with us about what's going on. I mean, yeah, because we just on the videos, we haven't even mentioned yet the fact that Paratici's ban came 
not even 24 hours after he'd been put front and center. This disaster. This, vid- this bizarre video disaster. message that was weird and almost funny enough at the time. Yep. Then given what we now know, like it is, it is comical. Yeah, it's bizarre. Because I think the context for the video was that obviously on Sunday night when they issued the statement about the, about the, the departure of Antonio Conte, which feels like an extremely long time ago, it was less than five days ago. That statement, obviously, the person quoting it was Daniel Levy, not Paratici. Whereas when Nuno was sacked, it was Paratici who was quoting the statement. So basically, that got lots of people saying, that's a bit weird. Fabio Paratici's not not on the statement. How strange. Maybe that means Paratici's going, because of course Conte's going, so and this legal thing's hanging over him. So maybe we come maybe we're coming to the end of the Paratici era. And, you know, I think I'm joining the dots a bit here, but I, it seems to me as if Tottenham thought, oh wow, it does look a bit like maybe we should get Paratici. Let's wheel out Paratici for you for a video for the website just to show how D- Does it matter about the production values? It really does. Nah, it'll be fine. fine. It'll look yeah. great. It'll yeah. look great. We can, oh, sorry, we can, I thought you were asking me seriously nice there, Charlie. Sorry. No. <laughs> and um, they but, wheeled him out for this video. And that what the video went online at 7pm on Tuesday evening, I think, on the Tottenham website. Yeah. And then at 10.37 on Wednesday morning, FIFA, FIFA dropped the bomb that, oh, actually, he's uh, the ban has global effect. I mean, it does all support, because I know, Danny, you initially were suggesting that their surprise was feigned. You know, it seemed like, uh, oh, you know, we didn't see this coming. But I think things like that just show how it was complete genuine surprise, because there is no way if they thought this was imminent, they would have put that video. Well, then, but let me tell you why I thought that, why I said that, because on other channels, um, including my own European football show on TalkSport, we have been discussing the probability of this ban being extended worldwide, not just to Prachi, but to Pavel Nedvev, Agnelli and all the rest of them. And FIFA said they were going to deal with it before the end of March. They actually said those words in January, that they would try and get, they would, they said with their best efforts to work out whether the ban would be extended by FIFA by the end of March. And so the end of March has all seemed like the, the obvious place. And But you're right, if, if Spurs had had any inkling that this was coming down the track, which they ought to have had. Um, they ought to listen to me, of course. If they ought, which they ought to have had, surely they would not have put out that video. And unless we're involved in what um, our kids call four-generational 4D chess, I, you know, I know I'm trying to add to it now, um, involving generations as well. It, it, it was just... It, it's, it's, it strikes of a bunker mentality now to me. I have to say, it, it, absol- it absolutely blew my mind that Tottenham said in their statement on Wednesday evening that they were not prepared for this at all. I mean, I'm sure, and I'm sure that's true because it's such an embarrassing thing for them to admit. It's so embarrassing for them to admit that they had no idea. And clearly, I completely agree with Charlie, the existence of the video on Tuesday evening tells us that they didn't know because why on earth would they do that if they did know? But for them to come out in public, in public and say they were, effectively say they were blindsided by the timing of FIFA's announcement. I mean, this guy is one of your most important employees and this is a huge thing hanging over him. And as a club, it's your job to know what's coming around the corner. Yeah, I think their view, which they more or less said in the statement, if you read between the lines, was that they didn't think FIFA would do anything before the appeal was, the FIGC appeal was heard in April. And yeah, they, I think that what they were trying to do was make it seem as if FIFA had jumped the gun and that their lack of preparedness wasn't a bad thing, but reflected the fact that 
FIFA had come out with this weird and wacky timing that had sort of surprised everyone. I think that was the logic, and I'm not defending it. I'm just trying to explain it. The other thought I've had, uh, we'll get on to the practicalities, because obviously away from the anger and bewilderment and, you know, some people, and of course, if you open your window, you can hear the rest of the country's football fans laughing at Spurs over this. Away from, from all of that, it does also strike me that what we're seeing now, and this is where it's slightly different, I think, Jack, from uh, two years ago, is a, a, an end game that looks like a shootout um, in that as the manager goes, as Parachi becomes either an embarrassment or a lame duck, we're left with an increasingly, one end of the street, an increasingly irate fan base. Um, and people like me who have tried to take a, an even hand in this, going, well, you can't defend that and you can't defend that, and that's incompetence at one end of the street. And at the other end, alone, Daniel Levy. Um, now, there can't be a shootout in the traditional way because you've quite rightly pointed out, Jack, that the only person who can sack Daniel Levy is not going to sack him. Um, and Daniel Levy is not going to sack himself. But we are, for the first time, I think, I genuinely believe for the first time, we're now down to that point where the, all the paint has been stripped away from the car and the base metal of Spurs fans against the current ownership is starting to become absolutely clear. There are no... There are no Plot twists left, he said, hopefully. There are no veils behind which Daniel can hide or the Spurs fans. And even people like me can pretend it's all going to be okay. It doesn't look like that. Uh, there's, a f Char there's a fire alarm here, so maybe Charlie wants to take that. That, <laughs> that is so appropriate, though. That is so appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, Charlie. Um yeah, I think this. I think this was a bit of a tipping point, even for um, people who generally are quite even-handed on this, uh, on the on the kind of Daniel Levy Enoch ownership issue. From speaking to people this week, a sense of like you know we and Jack made the point in his piece on Wednesday night and on Twitter, I think that you know normally with the decisions, even though there have been a lot of very contentious decisions over the last few years. I mean, the mind goes back to things like furloughing staff, but generally there's been some lot you could sort of see the logic and you could accept that it wasn't cut and dried and that running a football club's not easy etc etc i think this one is people have just been left so baffled by it and almost finding it impossible to mount a defense and yeah even for those people who genuinely are you know not anti-levy not anti-enic kind of see it from both sides i think there's people are just left so despairing and thinking just how out of touch must the ownership be yeah, it's it's. We'll see how it play. they're very lucky that the game on Monday is not at the Spurs Stadium, but at Goodison, because and I think it was our, our colleague in the Daily Mirror, Andy Dunn, pointing out this morning um, that both sets of fans will be chanting for the owners to get out of their club in a in a, in a disharmony harmony to use his lovely phrase um, about what's liable to happen. We were talking about the empty directors box on both sides, <laughs> just you know. Um, I think this fire alarm is real. Like I can see people putting on those yellow jackets and stuff. Right, so I, I think right. I'm actually going to have to go this, because the, uh, it makes it impossible. And this is what I expect his Spurs to fight back. I'm not suggesting they've set fire to the Athletic, but <laughs> this is Jack, incredible. Listen, go, it. man. Be safe. Good luck. He's gone. This is the most dramatic podcast I've ever made, and none of this has been pre-rehearsed. 
Um, I think we should just crack on myself and you, Charlie. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the practicalities of the worldwide ban on Fabio Paratici and Spurs' search for a new manager. Because that's what fans will want to know about, apart from the highfalutin philosophical points we've been making. You're listening to The View from the Lane with me, Danny Kelly, and now just Charlie Eccleshare. Let's crack on. But can I just say, in an even more amazing parallel with Tottenham, Jack has sort of closed his computer, but leaving open a little black notebook in echoes yeah. of the Paratigy black book. That, oh, that's uh, amazing. Is at the centre of the university. It's almost like he's done it deliberately. This is incredible. It's like th- this would be the li- little bit of evidence uh, yeah. f- on, on Jack. When we storyboarded this on, t- on, on, on Thursday, I mean, I couldn't have hoped it would go so <laughs> successfully. Let's take a break. Be back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You should remember that you can vote for us at the Sports Podcast Awards. You have to go to the website, create an account. It's free and it's really easy. That's www.sportspodcastgroup.com. After that, head over to the awards tab, then vote. Thusly, click on the best team podcast, click vote next to the view from the lane. Don't mistakenly vote for somebody else. And then click submit your vote in the top right-hand corner of the page. Yeah, welcome back to the second part of today's edition of The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Um, with me is Charlie Eccleshare and just Jack Pitbrook's laptop and notebook uh, lying on the desk um, because there's been a fire alarm uh, where he's broadcasting from and one wonders whether um, the, the Spurs story has taken another mad twist here. But we, we are very... I'm, let me just check out the window Everything seems all right outside my house. Um, we'll crack on. We'll move on. Let me tell you something, a piece of uh, good news, I think. Um, we can now um, get you involved in the show in a new way. Um, we've got an email address. So you can send your emails to this, VFTL, view from the name, VFTL at theathletic.com. That's VFTL at theathletic.com with your questions and musings. It's a way to open it up to you a bit more. It'd be even better, however, if we could hear your voices on the podcast, and you could send us your questions or thoughts in voice note form as we can play them on the show and hear your lovely dulcets. That would be just great. Let's start then with a a simple question for the next podcast. Who should Spurs hire as the next manager? Let's try this out, gentlemen and ladies. Let's go email crazy um, over the next couple of days. That that address again, vftl at theathletic.com. I'll put it up on uh, on my Twitter site as well. Um, my Twitter feed as we go along. Um, welcome back to the second part, as I say. And Charlie, we're all still, and you can hear the kind of difficulty we're having as this is a, a, both a legal and a moral and a footballing maze. But there are practicalities here because Spurs are in the middle of uh, an attempt to finish in the top four and they're looking for a new manager and Parachi is uh, is central to all of that. So let me ask you these questions and again, they're referred to in your piece. 
What does the actual ban stop Haberatchi from doing? So, you know, in, re- in relation to the following things, the search for a new manager, transfer activity in the upcoming transfer window, and the negotiation of contracts, in particular that of Harry Kane. I mean, he can't do anything. Like, it's a really comprehensive ban. There's The only thing is there's this slight, apparently there's a 10-day period where he can basically, ask, or he slash the club can ask FIFA for their reasons for their decision. I think he could work sort of during that 10-day period. But look, I mean, I think certainly the optics of that would be pretty awful if, say, he was there at Goodison Park, even if they worked out that on a technicality he could be. He's back in the country. Just for detail, he's back in the country, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He he came back yesterday. He'd been in Italy during the international break. But yeah, I'm told that Paratici's counterpart at Juventus, the amazingly named Federico Cherubini, just amazing that someone with that name should be implicated in, in, in all this. But yeah, apparently he's often at Juventus games. I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't think that's going to be the case with Prati. But yeah, he can't do anything. So he can't negotiate new contracts. He can't look for the new manager. I mean, our understanding, he has, to be fair to him, built a structure that can operate without him. You know, he's brought in over the last year, less than a year, Greta Steinson, uh, Andy Scolding, Leonardo Gabonini. So... It's not, it is a more kind of modern operation, you know, than it would have been, you know, if this had happened a year ago when Paratici was basically doing everything on the football side, um, you know, because Steve Hitchin had just gone as well. So he really was a kind of lone wolf. It would have been a lot more disastrous. In theory, they can still operate, you know, that's what the structure's there for without him. But, you know, if you're, imagine you're, you're a manager and, you know, the, the sort of manager spurs an out of work manager or even, a manager who is in work, but you're on the Spurs list of targets. And especially if you're at that top echelon where you're also thinking, oh, I wonder if Real Madrid will want me or if PSG will want me or if Juventus yeah. or whoever will want me. You're looking at this and, you, and what must you be thinking? You know, even from a practical point of view, you don't know who you're going to be talking to about joining this club, let alone all the chaos that's going on elsewhere. Amazing news. Jack Pitbrook has appeared back on the screen in front of me. I don't know whether he's come back to collect his belongings or whether the fire has been put out. Let me see if I can contact him. Hello, Jack. I'm back. You're back. Jack's back, everybody. Jack's back, baby. Um, There's a blazing inferno behind <laughs> him and he's still carrying on. Yeah, and his eyebrows are slightly singed. Everything all <laughs> right, Jack? Uh, I I assume so. So we all had to file out the building and stand on the street in central London in the rain. And then we got the all clear and I kind of pushed past people to push my way onto a lift and kind of hammering the button so it would go straight up and not allowing anyone back on. I've got a podcast to finish. Not a po- the he, podcast. I, the podcast. The podcast, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've got an award-nominated podcast. Award oh, it'll become, it's going to be, soon, soon to what be award-winning. What have I missed? Well, we're, in, we're just in the middle of a, a, a very, very bright soliloquy from Charlie about um, uh, what, what he's allowed and not allowed to do, which I picked out the phrase, Charlie, um, uh, he has built a structure that can operate without him. I think you'll find that nobody ever really builds a structure that can operate without themselves, but I take your point. No, him or her well, never Well, it was builds. like when you didn't host the podcast, Danny. You've kind of, we, were, we were still able to crack on... Even yeah, without you. I know, but did you see what people said about it, man? I mean, you and shouldn't you have, were furious. You shouldn't so have that's brought, actually a good example of what you're saying. You shouldn't have brought that up. It's a, that's a re- really not a good place to go. Um, what we were discussing, Jack, and you can help me here. I mean, you can pick up the baton seamlessly here from, if that's not a mixed metaphor, from Charlie. And even if it is, who cares? That this is going to affect the search for 
a new manager, not because Spurs don't have people who can you know, pick up a phone and go, would you like to manage Spurs? But because the managers might look at the chaos there and go, what? <laughs> not, not for me today. The, the number one thing managers want to know is the structure. Who am I accountable to? Who's in charge? Who will be signing the players for me? That's so important because, of course, going into any job, you'd want to know who your line manager is going to be and where the power lies. And it's completely unclear at the moment how that, how that, what the situation is now at Tottenham. And it's even less clear what the situation in that sense is going to be in, you know, when players come back for preseason in June. Um, so, yeah, it can only, it can only make things harder, I think, this uncertainty. I mean, the other things that we discussed or talked about, you know, might be the other irons that are in the fire, Harry Kane's contract, etc. There are, of course, Levy can negotiate that himself, since he will probably be micromanaging it anyway. And we don't even know what Harry's intentions are at this stage, though he must be watching what's going on at the club with at least one eyebrow raised. Um, uh, just extraordinary. This is. A, I'm going to ask for a bit of speculation here. Everything else you've told me today has been largely factually based, my own emotional response to the fiasco that's ongoing, notwithstanding. Um, the stuff that's happened since the last minute of the last game, um, when uh, Maitland-Niles makes up that penalty and the referee goes along with it at St Mary's. What, what's going to happen next, Charlie, in all this? Well, what, yeah, what's, your, I mean, it's... what's your gut feeling? I don't know. I keep sort of um, jumping between the two. On one hand, I'm like, surely... This is untenable, and you know, Paratici gets a suspend. You know, is kind of put on leave by the club until this is all resolved. But then I think, but there, as Jack said, there have been other points at which you thought that was going to happen and hasn't. So I'm kind of constantly find I'm jumping between the two. I mean, we know that he's he came back um, to London yesterday. Obviously, there are going to be discussions. So who knows? Maybe there'll be that other, you know, another club statement dash Fabio Paratici. <laughs> maybe a video, maybe he'll record a video. <laughs> maybe with music this time, who knows? A rap. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. I mean, but I mean, what we do know is that at 2.30 today, Christian Cellini will give a press conference. And I tweeted this the other day, just the utter absurdity, as it was two years ago, when a 29-year-old Ryan Mason, who'd never managed a game of football, was the man who had to answer questions about Spurs' potential involvement in the European Super League. It's just utterly mad. And, and this isn't a Tottenham issue, this is a football-wide issue, in the same way that Thomas Tuchel was answering questions about Russian foreign policy last year. Like, Bless his heart, he did very well, but he should never he, have been he, in that he position. Did, he, did, he did do a really good job. And Christian Stellini, who... You know, his managerial experience extends to the third tier of Italian football five and a half years ago, is asked about is going to be asked about Conte's departure. He's going to be asked about the the Paratici case. I mean, it would be like me being put up to answer questions about New York Times policy. It, it, it's, an, it's another example. I was talked earlier about the difference between the real world and the Premier League. You mm -hmm. know, in the real world, Daniel Levy would have to answer questions from shareholders. In the Premier League, he doesn't. And I think this is an example of that too. In the real world, given given not just the departure of Conte, but even bigger than that, I think the Paratici situation, you could even call it the Paratici scandal over the last few weeks. In the real world, the, the CEO of the company or at least somebody at board level would getting would be put up for the media. They would be getting dragged across the on the Today program and do uh, and on, you know they would be having to. They would be doorstepping of public scrutiny. Yeah, but again, Premier League football is different, and of course, Daniel Levy and the, the real decision makers at Tottenham don't take public questions. And in fact, Stellini, who is as Charlie says, like he's not. 
I mean, one, he's a football man. I don't mean that disparagingly at no, all. He quite. had a really good football career. He's had a really good coaching career. But he's not used to being the public face of, an, of a big organisation. In is a what second language. Between, between yeah. Na- yeah for, for now, between now and Leeds United away on the 28th of May, Stellini is the public face of Tottenham Hotspur, as strange as that might sound. But he, this is someone who's, as you say, his, first, his second language is English. He's, his English is very good, but it, you know, him, he's, yeah. not, he's not used to publicly performing in English. And this is someone who, you know, whose whole world is footballers and football matches and tactics and training sessions and recovery and motivation and all that stuff. It's not, you know, can you explain this? Can you explain the lack of due diligence at, in this kind of corporate headhunting? All this stuff that he has to do, he has to talk about. <laughs> the, he has no he's going to, to be about asked about his because, relationship because with, with Antonio Conte as well. We, yeah, I mean, the press conference could last for four hours. And of course it won't do because it'll be closed down long before that. And I'd also want to say that the person on Twitter suggesting that Christian Stellini and Charlie Eccleshare look suspiciously like each other was being unkind to both men at the same time, which is quite an achievement. I can just see it. I can see it too. I'm just trying to be nice. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah man. Gone, I, a grizzled, a grizzled fifty-year-old Charlie. Yeah. I've gone from Bentoncourt comparisons last season to Christian Stellini ones. This, it's, that's what having a second kid does to you. Can you also get some Brian you. Gill comparisons? Yeah, Brian, Brian Hill. When I was younger, I did, I did have hair like Brian Hill, and that is, that is quite a good one. Yeah, got my past, present, and future all in Spurs, uh, Spurs players and coaches. Yeah, I'd take looking like Stellini, aged 48, definitely. Jack Jack accept, uh, absented himself there for a few minutes because there was an actual fire in the building. Um, but those six months that you took off, uh, Charlie, albeit for very good reasons, your, rep- your reputation hangs in rags now. I mean, you know, the comparisons being made about you are just more and more negative. Yeah, uh, James Moore comparing me to Damon Hill uh, in Vibe was... <laughs> no, that was, was me. That was, yeah. that, that was, that was one highlight. Well, I, always, I always think that, that's such a difficult thing to do, given that for most of his professional career, the only part of Damon Hill you could see were his eyes and eyebrows. Um, look, the, the, the thing as well, just, not, just on yeah. the, the managerial the sort of... Uh, putting up a representative to speak for you. It it could sound as well as if we're talking about it from like a journalistic point of view that it's a shame because we don't get good answers. But the point is, there's a reason. There's a reason that clubs or organisations put forward people who can actually satisfactorily answer questions. Like that is a strat. That is your communication strategy. You have someone who can properly articulate and elucidate what the organization is trying to do and i get as i said it's not a spurs it's not a spurs issue it's a f- football wide totally. issue but it is extraordinary and you do still have you know if if you as you said dan if you wanted to you you can still as the chairman or chief executive or whoever you can speak publicly even if you do it through your own channels which does tend to be the way even if you compare it to say manchester city so manchester city obviously accused of very very serious offences and it's it's Pep Guardiola who has to take the question. Nonsense, everywhere. absolute nonsense. Now, it shouldn't. It sh- like on the one hand, it shouldn't be Pep Guardiola. It should be Chiki Brigastan, Ferran Soriano, and Caldoun, who are the three most important people. But even then, like Guardiola has be has spent has been managing massive football clubs for the last fifteen years. So at least he does have the experience of being the public face of the institution at some incredibly public facing football clubs you know Barcelona and Bayern Munich have got far more of a sort of public and that's what that's why he kept his Julia Roberts story up his sleeve for when the awkward exactly, question yeah, came exactly yeah. yeah exactly he, 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 knows, he does know I think t- 
to some extent how to play the game. Whereas Stellini has no has literally zero relevant experience for this whatsoever, and he's going to be he's been completely the fact that he's the fact that he is doing today shows that he has been completely hung out to dry by Tottenham. Uh, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And you're and you're right. Um, all three of us make our living pundits, journalists, whatever we, we are. It's not about us. It's about the Spurs fans, that vast army, the millions of Spurs fans. Currently, somewhere, some people are apoplectic, other people are merely embarrassed, but across a spectrum of negative responses to what's going on, they deserve, because of their loyalty, because of their longevity, and because they're expected any time in the next two weeks to shell out north of £1,000 for a season ticket, they deserve to have at least some idea of what the people who run the club actually think they're up to across a whole range of issues. Spurs fans deserve something more than what they're getting at the moment from the owners. Which takes us round, gentlemen. Who knew that this would ever happen again to an actual football match happening uh, in Liverpool on Monday when Spurs take on Everton, I should say, under the shiny new management team, the double interim management aegis of uh, Stellini and Ryan Mason. To be fair to all the people on the football side, the, the injuries have really, really unraveled Spurs in the last couple of months. Um, I saw, I, did I see Hugo Lloris briefly in training yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he should be available. W- will he be picked? Well, that is a good question. I think he probably will be, but um, or it might be one of those where you play Forster until he makes a mistake and then get rid of him, which sometimes happens with uh, first choice keepers coming back. But they have been they have been incredibly unlucky with injuries. Oh yeah, that is true. I mean, it should be said, and as especially as this is a podcast and this is just a talking point, but a talking point amongst fans for sure is was the much trumpeted kind of flogging of the players in career in extreme humidity last summer such a good idea given there was a World Cup coming up is that linked I don't I'm not an expert on that but it's 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 a talking point for sure it is fair to say that I'm, I'm seeing I think I'm seeing more muscle injuries than I would normally expect at this time of the season not just the Spurs but elsewhere and I suspect the World Cup the intensity of the middle of the season for some players who went deep into it is having an effect but again you'd have to get stats together for that listen I want to thank you both for joining me um, on this edition of The View from the Lane um, although Jack was intermittently here uh, through no fault of his own I must uh, fire your attention once again to pieces that these two have written about the the last few days at Tottenham which have been extraordinary they've certainly seemed like some very strange days indeed as John Lennon once said Jack's column on Paratici is explosive and Fantastic. They've also, the two of them, then Jack and Charlie, thank you both for a very long read in today's, it's on the Athletic today, about answering what I hope are the 10 pertinent questions that Spurs fans might want answered about the situation right now, which we've attempted here to at least shine a little bit of light on over the last little while on the view from the lane. And of course, to read those, you've got to be an Athletic subscriber. And if you're not, you can sign up right now to read all of the, the incredible Spurs coverage as well as I always say, as a ton of other stuff as well. Unfortunately, I end up going down athletic rabbit holes. Just to go, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now with a brand new offer of £1 a month for the first 12 months. Fantastic uh, value. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back in a few days' time. Thank you for Jack and Charlie for all their work in the last 72 hours on all of this. And I'll leave you with a piece of music because sometimes being a Spurs fan does feel like you're always crashing in the same car. 
The Athletic.